Would you turn with me in the scriptures to Colossians, the letter that we are walking through on these Sundays. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 24 through chapter 2, verse 5. And it's going to be really helpful for you just to keep your Bibles open uh, also to, to the rest of chapter 1 as we go through this. Colossians chapter 2, it's chapter 1. beginning at verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up on my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all its energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be united, encouraged in heart, and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. The word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, having given thanks for the faith and love on the part of the Colossians, believers that the now imprisoned Paul had never met, and having informed them that he continually prays for them, that they may live a life worthy of the Lord, the apostle then goes on in chapter 1 to describe the Lord, to describe the one whom, as he puts it, has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. And as he describes the one who, he says, rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, as he describes that one, the Colossians and we, cannot help but know that the Lord he is describing is not Caesar or some other human ruler or prime minister or president. But the Lord being described is unmatched in the universe. A Lord who is ruling over a kingdom which is very different from the kingdoms of this world, very different from the kingdom in which the, his, the people in Colossae lived. 
The Lord being described as none other than the crucified and exalted Messiah. And the description given to him in this song in chapter 1 is enough to make you fall to your knees in awe and worship Jesus. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. By him all things were created. He was, he is before all things. In him all things hold together. In other words, he is the king of creation. He is Lord of all. He's the head also of the new creation to come. He is the head of the church. He is the firstborn from among the dead. Yes, this Messiah lives. And it's through his death and it's through his resurrection that he has reconciled sinners to the Father. It's through his death and resurrection that he presents us, as he puts it in verse 22, holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Now, as the apostle ends that hymn and that part of his letter, he states then rather simply and straightforwardly that he has become a servant of this Lord, this King, and this Gospel. It was this King that he's just described in the first verses of chapter 1 that stopped him dead on his tracks on the road to Damascus, knocked him off his high horse, and called him to be one of his children and to be his ambassador. And Paul was convicted through the working of the Holy Spirit. Once he was not part of it, once he persecuted the church, but now he was part of it, and his allegiance was to a kingdom other than the kingdoms of this world. He was now marching to the beat of a different drummer. His primary allegiance was not to the Roman Empire, but to the kingdom of heaven. That's the way it is. For anyone who says, I am a child of the king, for anyone who identifies with the gospel, they thereby declare that their allegiance is first of all to the heavenly king and his kingdom, and secondly, to the kingdoms of this earth. Of course, if you say that, if you make such a declaration, there's almost inevitably going to be difficulties. We know that as Canadian citizens firsthand. We see that in Canada, working out in our indigenous population. They do not see Canada as a place of primary allegiance. Secondary, maybe, but not primary allegiance. And that has created all kinds of difficulties. When the values or the perceptions of the, of the one kingdom are different from another, there's going to be problems, and Paul, knew that to be the case firsthand. In fact, he would say that preaching the gospel and suffering are going to go hand in hand. If you're going to preach about the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom of heaven and declare that to be the truth, you're going to run into trouble. But the apostle, like many a person suffering for the gospel even today, was not filled with self-pity. It wasn't like Paul was sitting in prison saying, oh, woe is me, why did this happen to me? I'm such a poor guy now. No, there were no complaints registered on the part of Paul. 
Actually, as we read in the, in the letters, he considered it an honor and a joy that he was in prison and suffering for the sake of Christ. Now consider with me for a moment why he was in prison and the kinds of things that put him there. He was persecuted for declaring that Jesus is the risen Lord and King. He was suffering because he was making known a mystery, that which had been a mystery for generations, but now had become known. Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He was in prison for declaring the gospel and the good news of the kingdom of heaven. He was in prison because he declared that the Lord Jesus was establishing a new family, a new people, not a homogeneous group, not a single cultural or ethnic or racial group, not some kind of an elite group, but a multi-ethnic, international, interracial family. And like Jesus was the image of the invisible God, so that family, that multi-ethnic, international, interracial family, would reflect the image of the invisible God. Because Jesus would dwell among his people. Christ in them, Christ in us, Emmanuel, God with us. Saying all that put him in prison. Now consider this remarkable picture and the message for a moment. It brings to mind the vision in Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What a vision. What a picture. What a reality. The church, the body of believers, the body indwelt by the Lord Jesus, living out Paul's prayer in chapter 2, verse 2, encouraged in heart and united in love with the full riches of complete understanding, knowing the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The church, not seeing but a poor reflection as in a mirror, but seeing face to face and being fully known. That was this gospel, this message that put him in prison, but it was this gospel and this message that provided hope to believers. The hope they had was in Christ, whose suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension, for that matter, opened the door to a new relationship with the Father. It is this hope that motivates us as we carry out the offices of elder and deacon. It's this hope that motivates us to seek to find ways in which to spread the good news to our neighbor. It's this hope that motivates us to serve others. As a congregation, namely Community Christian Reformed Church, we are but a sp small part of a much, much broader body of believers found around the globe, the body of Christ, a body indwelt by Christ. The church is a unique institution in this world with a unique message. All is not lost is our message. 
There is a future because of Jesus Christ, the Lord of creation, the Lord of the new creation, the Lord of the church. Now that was a revolutionary message in Paul's day. It was countercultural. It was not a message that many Jews and certainly the Roman Empire readily accepted. Rome considered it treasonous. The Jews considered it a heresy. Rome was it. Caesar was God. The Jews, they were the chosen people. They were awaiting the Messiah, that Jesus who came from Nazareth. He was not the Messiah. Who ever heard of a suffering and dying Messiah? And so Paul sat in prison and suffered. And even in 2019, the idea that Jesus is Lord and that such a confession comes with a worldview which is often at odds with the prevailing perspectives is not always welcome. In fact, in some countries, Christianity is seen as a challenge to the very government and to the stability of the national way of life. And therefore, it's snuffed out and it's not allowed to grow or gain influence. Christianity and the persecution of Christians is at an all-time high. But in spite of that, it has always fascinated me that in spite of any sort of persecution, in spite of all attempts to stop the spread of the gospel, those who confess the name of Jesus Christ persist. They don't back down. And the church continues to grow and increase. In the year 197 AD, Tertullian, an early church leader wrote the Roman emperor of his province refuting, refuting various false charges being made against Christians and the Christian faith. And he argued that the followers of Jesus were loyal subjects of the empire and therefore should not be persecuted. He writes, quote, kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to dust. Your injustice is the proof that we are innocent and therefore God suffers. God allows that we thus suffer. The oftener we are mown down by you, the more in number we grow. The blood of Christians is seed, unquote. Indeed, from Paul's point of view, his suffering was not a sign of weakness or defeat. On the contrary, it was a sign that his message was for real. Paul saw it not as a way of completing Jesus' suffering in some way, he didn't need completion, but as a way of identifying with Jesus' suffering. Paul's suffering was a fulfillment of what Jesus had said to Ananias, who was to visit with Paul after the Damascus Road encounter with Jesus. Go to Paul, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. It was also a fulfillment of what Jesus said to his disciples in John 15. Remember the words I spoke to you? No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you too. So convicted by the truth and the wonder of the gospel, Paul considered his suffering as simply the cost of discipleship. It was worth it for the sake of the gospel. That's a remarkable, remarkable thing, because if I think about it, if something inconveniences me about the faith, if there's something that the faith demands of me that I go, well, I don't really like that, or if I'm challenged by someone regarding my faith, there are times when I tend to become somewhat defensive 
perhaps bothered and maybe somewhat hurt. And I begin to ask questions as to why I should have to be hurt or embarrassed because I'm a Christian. How about you? Ever happen? Soon many of us are going to be off on a specific mission trip. Others will be taking on the responsibilities of an office in the Church of Christ. And then all of us at the end of the service will be walking out these doors back to our regular lives. And next time when we open the letter to the Colossians, we're going to be looking at some, temp some of the temptations that are out there, some of the things that challenge us and confront us in our daily life. But in the meantime, based on this particular portion of the letter, remember who you are. And remember what you may face when you identify as a member of the kingdom of heaven. Remember you're a child of the king, the king of creation, the king of the church. You're a child of the king who gave his life for his people and for people from all tribes, tongues, nations, and lands who call him Lord. Remember that you're a child of the king who now indwells us through the working of the Holy Spirit. And remember that it's in this king that one finds life, truth, and hope for glory. To God be the glory. Amen. Oh Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. We are aware with Paul and others that when we ally ourselves with a kingdom, a kingdom other than the kingdoms of this earth, there's going to be conflicts. There's going to be struggles. That's a reality. You've said that's going to happen to us. And so we pray that we may not be surprised when it does happen. But it also means, Lord, that we have to really stand up for that other kingdom, for the kingdom of heaven. That means that people should be able to see from us that we march to the beat of a different drummer. Oh, Lord, encourage us. And when we suffer for the faith, we pray, O oh Lord, that we may count that as joy. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the kingship of Jesus Christ. To you be the glory. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>